book of Jonah chapter 1. The story's told of a little girl that was reading on an airplane when the man beside her noticed her storybook, and it was entitled Jonah and the Whale. So after saying hello, the man asked her to tell him about her book. And she said the book was about Jonah and how he was swallowed by a whale. The man said, you don't really believe that, do you? When the little girl replied, well, yes, I believe the story of Jonah is true. The man said, you mean you really believe that a man can be swallowed by a whale, stay inside him for three days, and then come out of there alive? And the child said, this story's in the Bible, and we studied it in Sunday school today. Then the man asked, how can you prove that the story about Jonah is true? Well, she thought for a moment, and then she said, well, when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah. The man smiled pridefully and asked, well, what if you, if you do and Jonah's not in heaven? The little girl thought for a moment and then replied, well, if he's not in heaven, then you can ask him. <laughs> Good answer, huh? Shut him right up, I think. The book of Jonah, we're all familiar with the book of Jonah because we know of the miraculous event that took place in the book of Jonah with Jonah being swallowed by, the text says, a big fish. It doesn't actually say a whale. We kind of think a whale because we know a whale is a big fish, right? There are lots of other big fish in the ocean. So it could have been of any kind of fish. It could have been a a God-created, miraculous fish just for that moment. We don't know for sure. It's not really the point of the story anyway, that God has so much more for us than just this fish-swallowing man story, all right? So we're going to get into it. So the book of Jonah, who are the cast of characters that we have in this short book? Well, we have Jonah, a prophet of God. We have these uh, sailors, as we will see, the they're seasoned marin- mariners. Uh, just keep that in mind. This wasn't the first time these guys had been out on a boat. We have this fish. We're not sure what kind, but not sure it's a whale. We'll see that we have this king of Nineveh. He's a leader of a powerful, brutal, evil empire, Assyria. We'll see that in chapter 3. We have the people of Nineveh, the Ninevites. More than 120,000 in number. We get that from Jonah chapter 4. And then we have our main character in the story, which is God Himself. Now, where does all this take place? We know from 2 Kings chapter 14, where we have another reference to the prophet Jonah, that he comes from a little village called Gath-Hefer, which is just a short distance away from Nazareth. Then we see Joppa mentioned in the story, which is a uh, Mediterranean seaport, which is also today known as Jaffa. And then we have this other city called Tarshish. And we have two possible locations for what is known as the city of Tarshish. They're both in Spain somewhere. We're not exactly sure where. We have the Mediterranean Sea, which plays a big role in this story. And then we have Nineveh. Nineveh would become the capital city of this vast Assyrian empire. Now, when does this take place? 
It's during the reign of Jeroboam II. Hold your place in Jonah and flip over to 2 Kings chapter 14 real quick. You might remember part of this as Pastor Jeff was, had recently taught through First and Second Kings. This would have come up during that time. 2 Kings chapter 14, and we're going to start at verse 23. Verse 23 says, In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned forty-one years. This is the second Jeroboam, which is the reason they called him Jeroboam the second. Makes sense, I think. So it says, He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. Key verse. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-hefer. So this is taking place in about 793 to 753 B.C., which is about eight centuries before the time of Christ. And Jonah was a prophet then about 75 years after the time of the prophet Elisha. So what's happening here in the book of Jonah? What's the setup? God is going to work through Jonah in spite of Jonah. We can relate to that, can't we? So we see in this text, we're going to see as we move forward into chapter 3 especially, that Jonah is exhibiting some racist tendencies. He just did not like the Ninevites. We'll find out why later. So therefore, he didn't want to obey God. And why this is happening, we're going to see in detail as we get into our text. Now some background on Jonah himself. Jonah's a prophet with a track record. We just read in 2 Kings 14.25 that God had given a word to Jonah. And as a prophet, he prophesied and it came to pass. They did expand their territory, if you will. Jonah was also an actual historical character, and we need to keep that in mind because there are those out there that would like to tell us that the book of Jonah is fable, that they'd like to tear it apart and say, well, no fish can swallow a man, and a man can live in there for three days and then be spit out on the shore and survive, <clears throat> so therefore we have to do away with the whole book. Well, if our, one of our main characters, Jonah, we can prove that he was a real person in history lends more credibility to the story, doesn't it? So we have this reference in 2 Kings that gives us confirmation. We also have Josephus, the Jewish historian. He documents the story of Jonah in his writing, so it's confirmed there. But better than all of that, we have the words of Jesus himself, don't we, in Matthew chapter 12 and 16 and Luke chapter 11. Jesus makes reference to Jonah as well. So he is an actual historical character. We'll actually see that he's a hysterical character as well as we look at this. So Jonah's name, if you look up a definition for that in Hebrew, it means dove, which directly relates to what in Scripture? Spirit, right? We know that when Jesus was baptized, the Spirit descended on him 
like a dove. And we also saw in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, that he was the son of Amittai. Amittai in Hebrew means truth, God's word. So Jonah's lineage and character was to be operating as a spirit of truth, which is a perfect name for his calling, right? He's a prophet of God, so he should be spreading truth. Somebody answered it for me. Thank you. (laughs) So as we move forward in this, we're going to see what would be the best description of Jonah in this book. Would we call him a reluctant missionary? A distracted prophet? A disobedient believer? A rebellious racist? Fish bait? (laughs) Certainly all five of these apply to Jonah. But the one that we can most relate to, I think, would be a a disobedient believer. Now, there's some argument as to who the author of the book of Jonah is. I want to dispel that today by saying it was Jonah. I think we can take that in confidence that Jonah was the author of this book. But it's going to be pinned by, under the influence of, the Lord Himself, right? So God's the author of this book. God doesn't lie. Therefore, the whole book is true. Amen? So, this book is also not an allegory. Some want to call it that. An allegory is characters or events that represent or symbolize ideas and concepts. The book's not a parable. We know that Jesus taught in parables, which is usually a short, fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or a religious principle. So it's not an allegory. It's not a parable. It's truth. Jonah was a real person in history. To question the book of Jonah leaves the door open to question the truth of the rest of the Bible, doesn't it? Because God wrote Jonah, God wrote the rest of the Bible. If we question any of it, it's just not an option. So the book of Jonah is not just a fish story. The fish is only mentioned four times. It's not just a Nineveh story. That's only mentioned nine times. It's not just a disobedient prophet story. Jonah is only mentioned 18 times. It is a God story. God is mentioned in these short four chapters 38 times. So bottom line in this story, our focus needs to be on God. What He did in Jonah's life, what He still does today in our lives. The will of God and how we respond to it. The love of God and how we share it. So in this book of Jonah, as we go through it over the next two weeks, we're going to break it up into four parts. Number one, rebellion. We see that in the first chapter. Number two, repentance. We'll see that in the second chapter. Number three, revival. We'll see in the third chapter. And number four, remorse. Sounds strange, doesn't it? But we'll see that when we get to the fourth chapter. So you'll have to stay with us through two weeks. Painfully going through Jonah. No, (laughs) hopefully it won't be painful. So flip back over to Jonah and let's read. Verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that, uh, Lord, you give us the truth of your word. You give us stories like Jonah to encourage us, to correct us, to rebuke us, whatever you see necessary, Father, that is going on in our lives. And we pray that through this study, you will do just that. You will speak to our hearts. 
Lord, that you will impress upon us the truth that you want us to learn and to know and to apply. So, Father, just bless this time of study, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So that first verse, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, The word of the Lord came. Interesting phrase, but we see it's a phrase that's repeated time and time again throughout the Old Testament. 2 Peter 1, chapter 21 says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but by holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So in the Old Testament, God spoke directly to His prophets. He spoke to them through dreams and visions. He spoke through angels. We know that He conversed with Adam in the garden. We know that He told Noah to build an ark. We know that He spoke to Moses in a burning bush. He promised Abraham a son. And Paul, in the book of Acts, heard his voice on the road to Damascus. So we don't know exactly how the word of the Lord came to Jonah. But we do know that it came from God because it came to pass, right? In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 22, if a prophet speaks and it is from the Lord, then it will come to pass. If it is not from the Lord, it will not come to pass. That's the way we tell the difference between a false prophet and a true prophet of the Lord. If they prophesy and it comes to pass, he's a true prophet. And based on Jonah's reaction in this story, we're going to see that he does get the message very clearly. He understands what God is saying. Do we? Do we always understand how God speaks to us today? Well, we know that He speaks to us through His Son because Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom He made the universe. And that we know that when we come to Jesus Christ, we receive His Holy Spirit. And it's for a purpose. Jesus says in John 14, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So through His Holy Spirit, through His Word, all Scripture is God-breathed, it says in 2 Timothy. The Spirit gives us understanding and teaches us God's Word, so we hear from Him in that way. We hear from Him through nature and through God's creation. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. We're going to see this in the story of Jonah, that these sailors are going to see God's hand at work through nature, and they respond to it. So through the Holy Spirit, God speaks to us through His Word, through nature and God's creation, through prayer. We know that when we open up our hearts and we take stuff to the Lord in prayer, He speaks to us, doesn't He? As long as we give Him time to speak to us, because some of us like to talk more than we listen, don't we? I don't know who that would be, but some people are that way from what I understand. (laughs) So through prayer and through others. We know we can have the encouragement of others in our lives, those that God has spoken to, and they have a word for us as well, right? So in each of these ways, God may speak to us today, today, and each one of them meshes together. They all work together at times. So again, we may not hear God's literal voice, 
but His Spirit confirms a certain direction or answer for us uh, in many ways and many times. Now, does God speak to all of us the same way? No, we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God speaks in different ways, doesn't He? He's a creative God. He speaks in so many ways, including through miracles, some of which we're going to see in this text in Jonah. So verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. God says, Arise, go. God that gave this command to Abraham, Jacob, Jeremiah, and many others. God sometimes tells them where to go and sometimes not. He told Jeremiah, arise and go down to the potter's house. He told Jacob, arise and go up to Bethel. He told Abraham, arise and go to a land that I will show you. But literally, get up and get going, right? For Jonah, God says, arise and go to Nineveh. Very clear directions, right? Arise, get up, go to Nineveh. Why? This verse tells us, for their wickedness has come up before me. The wickedness of Nineveh. What was so wicked about this place that God would want to send a prophet to them? Now Jonah doesn't go into detail about that in the book of Jonah, but in the the prophet Nahum does. He says Nineveh was guilty, guilty of conspiring against God, guilty of exploitation of the helpless, guilty of cruelty in war, guilty of idolatry, prostitution, and witchcraft. They were an evil, evil city of people, as the Assyrian Empire is as well. As later on, maybe a hundred years from this time, they will invade the northern kingdom and take them away. You've heard Pastor Jeff talk about that. Leading them away with hooks in their mouths. They were known for cutting the heads off some of the people and putting them on posts to the gates of the cities. Stacking up skulls. They, they were just a cruel, evil people. Can't understand why Jonah doesn't want to go there, do you? <laughs> he doesn't. Look at verse 3. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So was Jonah obedient, half obedient? He did arise. He did go. Just in the opposite direction, right? He was in direct rebellion to God's command because he didn't want to go. You ever find yourself fighting against God? God's desires pulling you to go in one direction, your own fleshly desires pulling you in another Jonah found himself in that very position, but his desire won out over God's for a time, so he thought. Had a similar situation to that yesterday myself. Men's golf. I felt like God was saying, stay in Greeley, Jim. Continue to study. Continue to seek me. My flesh was going, golf, 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 golf. Go golf. There's going to be many similarities to what Jonah went through and to what I went through yesterday. Lots of wind, lots of water, pain. (laughs) It didn't have a very pretty outcome. I've got witnesses. (laughs) Amen, Jerry? Yes. (laughs) 
So Jonah found himself in this place where he was just being disobedient. But twice in this verse, it's interesting that it says he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Here's a prophet of God who in that time you would think being a prophet would be as close to God as anyone could get, knowing a lot about God as God worked through him and used him. And yet he's under the impression that he can flee from the presence of God. Psalm 139, verse 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Jonah will discover the facts in these verses firsthand. So he flees to Tarshish. Why Tarshish? It's in the totally opposite direction of Nineveh. 180 degrees almost changing from God's direction. It's almost 2,000 miles away trying to escape the presence of the Lord. Where is Tarshish? It's about as far away as he could go in the opposite direction. They believe it's in Spain. It's where the Mediterranean dumps into the Atlantic. It's like as far west as you can go and still see land. So what's in Tarshish? Well, Jonah evidently thought that the presence of the Lord wouldn't be there. Doesn't say a whole lot for Tarshish, does it? (laughs) So in this story for Jonah, Nineveh would represent obedience. Tarshish represents disobedience, totally in the opposite direction. God says go, Jonah says no. So he goes to Joppa, a seaport village. He finds a ship sailing for Tarshish. And the text says he paid the fare. He paid the fare. He paid the price. Jonah will discover that he will pay the price for his disobedience. There will be consequences. And that's true of us as well, right? If we choose to go against the will of God, if we choose to be disobedient, there's always consequences. There has to be because God loves us. He wants us to learn to follow Him faithfully. Proverbs 3.11 says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest His correction. For whom the Lord loves, He corrects, just as a father the son in whom He delights. If we're moving in the wrong direction, God will eventually bring us back around in the right direction by whatever means necessary because He loves us. And I think He maybe overdoes it a little bit or goes overboard with Jonah. (laughs) Verse 4, But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Now, isn't it interesting that in verse 3 it opens up with these two words, but Jonah. And then in verse 4 it opens up with two, three words actually, but the Lord. You see, if you or I try to get into a but battle with the Lord, we're going to lose every time. Okay? So just let it be but God, but the Lord, and not but Jonah. A few years ago, there was a movie released based on a true story you might remember called 
the perfect storm. It chronicled a 1991 disaster of a fishing boat, the Andrea Gale and its crew, when it was caught up in the convergence of two powerful weather fronts that produced hurricanes. And it took the lives of the entire crew and destroyed the boat. The convergence of those two storms and its result led meteorologists of that day to label it as the perfect storm. So here God's creating His perfect storm, a storm to accomplish what He desires. It's a supernatural storm with a supernatural purpose. Verse 5, Then the mariners were afraid, obviously, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had laid down, and was fast asleep. So these mariners, or these seasoned sailors, became afraid. Now, sailing the Mediterranean, they had undoubtedly come across some pretty severe storms in the past. But nothing like this. This is a storm like they had never seen before. It was a God storm, a perfect storm, a storm to accomplish God's purpose. They also acted on that fear by calling on their little g gods, you'll see in the text. Who or what do we call on when we go through the storms of life? Do we call on little g gods in our life? Things or people we put our trust in? Or do we call out to the one and only true God who is our ever-present help in time of need? The text also says that they threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. So they were throwing out the things that they saw value in at the time. Things that they trusted in for provision. None of which could save them from this storm. And then we see another but Jonah in this text. For he had gone into the lowest parts of the ship. Now there's a progression here that I think we need to take note of. In verse 3, Jonah went down to Joppa. Also in verse 3, Jonah went down into the ship. Here in verse 5, Jonah went down into the lowest parts of the ship, and he laid down. Down, 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 down. Jonah's disobedience and rebellion had led him into a very serious downward spiral. That's what sin does, doesn't it? The more disobedient we are, the farther down we go. We become desensitized, we become lethargic, and we go to sleep spiritually. Romans 13.11 says, And do this, knowing the time that is, is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. When we're asleep spiritually, we're of no use to others. God can't use us when we're spiritually asleep. But He will use someone or something to wake us up. In Jonah's situation, everyone around him was in this storm, and he was no help because he was asleep. Now, think about that for a second. My wife would tell you I'm a pretty sound sleeper. When I go to sleep, I'm, I'm normally out. I, I praise God for that. I can sleep through just about anything. I know that because anything hasn't woken me up yet, really. So I'm a sound sleeper. But I do believe that if I was in my bed 
and it was rocking back and forth, and there were people yelling and crying out and throwing stuff overboard, and the rain and the wind is beating on the house, I would hope I would wake up, I, you know, <laughs> even as sound a sleeper as I am. But Jonah is sound asleep. All the people around him are going through a serious storm, and he's of no use because he's sound asleep. We can be that way sometimes ourselves. We can be spiritually asleep, and we're just of no use to anyone. God just can't use us in that state. So in verse 6, we see that the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us, though we may not perish. Come on, wake up, Jonah. You're a prophet of God. These men need your help. The captain's saying to him, how can you possibly be sleeping? How could he be sleeping through all this? Don't you see and hear all that's going on? We've all called on our little g-gods and it's not helping. Wake up, get up, and call on your God. So everyone on the boat, everyone on the ship was calling out to their gods. There's only one guy left that hadn't. Oh yeah, Jonah, down in the bottom of the boat. Maybe we can get him to call on his God, see what would happen. It's good counsel for us when we're going through a storm of our own. Wake up, get up, and call on God, the true God, the one and only. So the plea from the captain we find is very similar to the apostles' cry for help in Mark chapter 4. The wind and the waves are beating on their boat, and they cry out to Jesus, who's asleep? But Jesus is God. He's never really asleep, is he? <laughs> we don't know that Jesus himself in that story didn't cause the storm. He's God. He had a part in it, right? So they cried out to Jesus, hey, we're about to perish. With three words, Jesus calmed the storm. Peace, be still. Which calmed the storm and calmed the apostles at that time. Some years ago, there was a Christian song that was uh, fairly popular. And the chorus of that song said, sometimes he calms the storm and other times he calms his child. We see that in our own lives, don't we? Sometimes he does both at the same time. Jesus could sleep through the storm in peace because he knew the Father was in control. That, that wasn't the case with Jonah. He was asleep not because he was at peace with God, but because he was rebelling against God. He was in sin. He was disobedient. Have you ever been so weighed down by your sin that you just want to get in bed, pull the blankets over your head, and go to sleep? I think we've all been there. Hoping that when I wake up in the morning, it'll all just be gone away. The problems will be gone. Seldom does that work. We are running away when we should be taking it to the Lord. It appears that Jonah did wake up and arise, but we have no indication from the text whatsoever that he called on God, even after the captain told him to. The sailors obviously didn't find much satisfaction in Jonah's response because they immediately resorted to another option, another means to try to figure out what was going on. Verse 7 says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot 
fell on Jonah. So what about this practice of casting lots? We see that it's practiced in the Old and the New Testament. Proverbs 18.18 says, Casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. And in Proverbs 16.33 it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. We see in the Old Testament that casting lots was used to determine land assignments in Canaan. It identified Achan as the offender after the Ai fiasco in Joshua 7. Nehemiah used the lot to assign various priestly duties. In Acts 1, the apostles employed the lot to find a replacement for Judas. And here in Jonah, they cast lots to find out who is responsible for this storm. So God's using whatever means necessary to bring Jonah back in obedience. God used the storm. God used the boat's captain. And now God used the casting of lots. Now for us today, casting of lots is not necessary in finding the will of God because we have the Word of God, don't we? We have the full counsel of God's words available to us. And we have His Holy Spirit to help teach us and be an advocate with the Father for us. But nevertheless, in this case, they cast the lots. The lots fall on Jonah by God's design. And in verse 8, they say to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? Some very good questions. Very interesting as well. Who are you? What did you do? Help us to understand what's going on here. And then we see in verse 9 and 10, Jonah attempts to answer these questions, but it almost comes across with some level of piety, giving uh, Jonah's state at this time, being in disobedience. So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. The men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. In Genesis chapter, one, verses, or chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God called the Jews to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. But we know as we read through the Old Testament that whenever the Jews were out of the will of God, they brought trouble rather than blessing, didn't they? Twice Abraham brought trouble to people because he lied. Achan brought trouble to Israel's army because he robbed God. Jonah brings a boatload of trouble to these pagan sailors because he fled. Jonah, like Abraham, also lied. Where do we get that? Verse 9. I fear the Lord. In the Hebrew, in this tense, fear means reverence, awe, worship. Jonah's not doing that, is he? He's not revering the Lord, and he's not in awe of the Lord. He's not worshiping the Lord. He's trying to run from the presence of the Lord. Disobedience rebels against worship and reverence and awe. So Jonah is, is not a man who is acting like he fears the Lord. Like Abraham, he's bringing trouble rather than blessing because of his lying. So as we close this morning, let's look at all that Jonah lost because he wasn't being God's blessing to others. And I think we'll see similarities in our own lives 
what we lose when we're walking in disobedience. Number one, he lost the voice of God because the focus was on himself and not on God. God was no longer speaking to Jonah through his word. He was speaking to him through his works, the sea, the wind, the thunder. And as we'll see next week or Wednesday night, a fish. So everything in nature was obeying God except his servant. (laughs) It's interesting. God even spoke to Jonah through the pagan sailors, didn't he? And that's sad. Being rebuked by the very ones you should be ministering to. I've experienced that myself (laughs) at times. God has used others to get me back on track. Praise God that he did. Use whatever means necessary. So, number one, he lost the voice of God. Number two, he lost his spiritual energy because he's focusing on himself, not on others. He went to sleep during a fierce storm and was totally unconcerned about the safety of others. Again, if we're asleep spiritually, we're no good to others. We're not in a place where we can minister to them effectively. And we see that the sailors were throwing everything overboard, and Jonah was about to lose everything, but he's still sleeping. He obviously was only concerned about himself. He was selfish. He wasn't concerned about the Ninevites, who God had originally called him to go to, and he wasn't concerned about the sailors. Number three, he lost his power in prayer. Again, because the focus was on himself and not God. The heathen sailors called on their gods for help while Jonah slept through the prayer meeting, right? He was the one man on board who knew the only true God and could pray to him, and he wasn't doing it. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Loss of power in prayer is one of the first indications that we are far from God and need to get right with Him. So he lost the voice of God, he lost his spiritual energy, he lost his power in prayer, and he also lost his testimony. He wasn't living up to his namesake, was he? Dove and truth, or spirit of truth. He wasn't living up to his high calling as a Jew, bringing He was bringing trouble rather than blessing. And he wasn't living up to his calling as a prophet of God. He had no message for them from God, did he? Jonah had already told the crew that he was running away from God. That's a great testimony, isn't it? Tell me about your God. Well, I'm running away from him. Why? I don't like what he has to say. I don't like what he's telling me to do. I disagree with him. I'm being disobedient. That's how much I worship my God. This made the sailors even more fearful because Jonah said, what? He said, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Two terms that they would be very familiar with, especially right at this time in the midst of the sea, wanting to get to dry land. And this God, Jonah's God, who created the sea and the dry land, was punishing 
his servant, and that's why they were in danger. Verse 11. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. We're going to pick up from there on Wednesday night. I encourage you to come and see what happens next about this big fish coming into play. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful this morning for your word. As hard as it is to swallow. Lord, you hit us right between the eyes when you speak of disobedience. Trying to run from your presence, which we know is impossible. You're always with us. Even when we don't recognize it. Father, it's my prayer that as we continue to go through this book, you will continue to establish your truths in our hearts. Lord, still knowing that we will fall short. We will still sin. But will we recognize it and not run from your presence, but be in your presence, Lord, confessing and repenting where we've gone wrong? Father, this morning we come to the communion table. And we know that it was written in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man, a woman, examine themselves, and so let them eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Lord, we know that these are serious words for us as we come to your communion table. Because, Lord, we may have a sin, a trespass, some disobedience that we're still harboring in our heart. And, Lord, you love us. You want us to change direction from that. You want to speak to our hearts today in regard to that before we come to the communion table. Lord, you want us to be in a place where we can come to this table rejoicing because of what you've done for us. So, Lord, we're going to be still before you just for a moment. Examine ourselves, Lord, allowing you to work in our hearts, revealing to us those things or anything that might keep us from recognizing your holy presence with us. Pray that you just lift up those things to the Lord this morning that might be coming between you and God.